Well, welcome to the Speak the Language podcast. This is the first deer podcast we've done all year, and the reason we're doing that is, uh, did you just pop Jordan on the wrist with a rubber band? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> kind of like picking up your cell phone when you really don't need to. It was there, so I did it. <laughs> I found it on the floor. I figured I'd have ammo for after a while, so I picked it up. Uh, well, it's Friday the 13th, uh, and... Are we going anywhere? Are we got anything to do other than pack up and get ready? No. Good. It's the same deal. I'm taking, I'm doing what you did for, uh, because we go to Cottonmouth on Monday. First, first Cottonmouth trip of the year, and I'm just taking all the stuff I had from elk season, I'm going to put it in one big box, and I'm just going to ship it to Cottonmouth. My whole, I've got this little bedroom in my house, it's my room, it's my hunting room, Uh and it's slept just nasty right now. I got clothes scattered everywhere, bows across the bed and this camo and boots and I got me two brand new pair, gamekeeper, mossy oak bottomland pants the other day in the mail. Where did you get them from? I need Uh, some from a a good friend of mine. I tell you what, them pants are about the best pants I've ever worn. You can't you can't can't rip them. The best thing by far, hands down, that I've found about those gamekeeper pants so far they are the only pants I've found that a cucklebur won't stick to. Yeah, and yep. they're quiet. And, and that, that's worth its weight in gold. Lord knows we got some cucklebars. You wear anything Man. fleece or cotton, you're going to come out looking like a You're going to come out looking like a cucklebur. Yeah. And look, for a lot of people that don't know what a cucklebur is in certain parts of the country, if you live anywhere around the Mississippi River from Minnesota to here, you're going to have them. It's a, yep. Most people, i got a friend, doctor friend of mine that tells me it looks like a, a kidney stone on steroids. It's mm. just a... And it's amazing to me, deer season's over and then turkey season rolls around, you start putting your clothes on, you start finding cucklebars in your underwear and in your socks. The worst part of it is the toe of your socks. When yeah. you put them in the dryer, yeah. somehow yeah. or another, that cuckleberry's going to find that toe of the sock every time. There is a cucklebur in the windscreen on the shotgun mic on my camera, and oh, I, I swear that thing has been there since season one. I had to take a out. pair of scissors and get mine out last year. Yeah. Anyhow, enough about cucklebur talk. It makes me mad talking about cucklebars because I'm going to be neck deep in them here in a few days but yep. so okay so first round of cottonmouth we're excited well sound kind of excited there's a little there's a lot of stuff we got to do yeah, to get ready but uh it's a lot behind uh, the scenes that goes on yeah well we still love going hunting you know we're going deer hunting that's one of the favorite things to do especially yeah. on the mississippi river yeah and it, it's kind of nice like because coming off elk season elk season such a uh elk season like a sprint you know, that's what you called it before. It's a good way to describe it's a it. Five and a half week sprint. And by the time you get to the end of it, you all feel like you're, we all feel like we're out of breath. While you're there doing it, it seems like it's taking forever. But when it's over, and you finally get home like we did the other day, and you realize you got to go back. I got to go back and look at the footage to refresh my memory what yeah. happened the first week versus the fourth week. It's like a blur. I can't remember the first hunt we had right it's a, now. It's a five week blur. Yeah. Yeah. I looked at my phone. I was messing around the other night at the house, just looking through all the, you know, you can look at, see how many miles you put on. Mm-hmm. And the month of September and first two weeks of October, I had like 96 miles <laughs> on my phone, I think. And that's just a three-week stretch. I believe that. And that it's says it's not 96 yeah. miles on my phone a whole year. Yeah, <laughs> well. Um, so we'll get into, I mean, we all know the, we all kind of know generally not specifically what all we're going to get into next week there's the basic early season stuff we first do but what i want to get into first is one of the things we did um we all knew, we we asked uh the folks to send in some questions asking just some questions about early season stuff and and mm-hmm. our opinion on it and what we do to try to tackle some of that stuff not that we're experts by any means i just think we just 
get lucky enough to do it a lot, so we've seen yeah, it a lot more, you know. There's, look, I'm willing to learn from anybody, and yeah. everybody's an expert in the place that they hunt. That's the way I look mm-hmm. at it. If you're if you're hunting a place that you've been hunting all your life, and you know it, and you understand it, and you you got a certain persimmon tree or a certain acorn tree, and man, and, and we're going to do that. We were talking about that yesterday, uh, me and uh, Brad, and just, you know, where do you think we need to start? Well, if this persimmon tree's got persimmons or this acorn tree's got acorns, man, just go back to the same old spots that were good for you right. in years past. Yep. Yeah. So let, let's, uh, now that you said that, let's get on to that, that question first because some of these some of these questions that sent in I will cover specifically, but some of them we're just kind of, because we I had, I think, a couple topics. We had three or four people send in is pretty much the same question, and so we'll do that one first just because of what you said. Someone said, a real good topic, I think, would be figuring out how to get close to a big buck during the early season. Let's dive into that. Like you said, first off, you know, you're talking Honestly, about acorn trees, me, persimmon yeah, trees. The best way to get close to a big buck during the early season is stay away from a big buck and scouting from the outside Absolutely. edges before the season and even into the season, Dur- depending yeah, on your time. Yeah, during the, the early season, when you're not, like you said, it's not like, it's not like the rut when they're – when their minds outside themselves, they I mean, they're, where they're gonna be you don't know where they're going to be. You know, these these mature deer are creatures of habit, mm-hmm. and if you're getting pictures of that deer in nighttime only, going in there and hunting him, your chances are seeing him are very slim. If he's only coming in there at night, I'd yeah. wait till I see him coming on camera during the daylight, and then when he shows up, you'd be time to attack them yeah. but until that point i'd stay out of there yeah so let, let's talk to since you said that this is one of the specific questions i want to cover a guy named uh, hunter sent a question in and i'll just read his question in word for word he said so i only hunt 30 acres uh basically in his backyard must be family land and he said i have three shooter bucks on camera and he says they're all between 135 to 150 inches how it and said so right now they're all coming in let's see what they only come in at night how would you success killing one if they're nocturnal Yep. Just just watch and wait. Let them let the cameras do your scouting for you. And once they start showing up, right at dusk, dark, or you know, thirty minutes before dark, that's when they attack. I'd stay out of there until that happens. Just let your camera do your hunting for you. My best piece of advice for the three shooters on the one trail camera is: I think we should get his cell phone number and that he too. drop us a pin. Yep. And then <laughs> you have a better chance of harvest if you have at least ten people hunting so on property. So if you tell us where it is, we'll tell you how to hunt it. <laughs> You're on thirty acres. And yeah. The key to hunting small tracts of land is the less pressure you put on any land, Absolutely. small or big, is the key. Mm-hmm. That deer right now at this time of the year, is it say where he's from? Uh, Warren County. So he's from Mississippi. Yeah, Mississippi. That deer is still on a summertime pattern. No, for sure. That's what Chances I and are. He's been looking at pictures at all three of those deer in velvet, and we all know that white-tailed deer. The day that they shed that velvet, they turn into a different deer. creature. Well, actually, in I the talked south to him. in Mississippi. Most of the time, they turn nocturnal creatures. Well, they, they do. well that's what I, I talked to him a little bit further, and that's that's the thing. You get that question a lot, and the thing to remember is it's not uncommon for a, a mature buck to be nocturnal this time of year oh, just... some, you can get the reason I, I think some of the reason people think it is because there there are instances where he's not nocturnal and you go in there and you booger him then he'll go back nocturnal so they will go nocturnal in response to pressure but in this case that's not what's going no, that, on like they're those just they're nocturnal because of the weather we yeah have. that's why i think that's about just it right what now. they do if i could switch my whole day to day around as hot as it is right no. now. I wish I could just do my daily stuff during nighttime when it, which is still hot. But I mean, so I mean well, that's all they're doing. Exactly. It's so hot right now. And just, think about last year at Cottonmouth. We killed a couple of good deer early, 
Mm-hmm. And we started targeting Mufasa. Right. The first of November. We wasn't getting any pictures yeah. of him at all in October. Yeah. And we started getting pictures of him the first of November. The biggest deer we killed at Cottonmouth last year. And he was nocturnal the whole month, all the way to mm-hmm. the very end, right mm-hmm. before Thanksgiving. Right. And it, the way that happened and the way that took place is we just took the pressure totally off of that yeah. deer. That's, I'm glad you thought about that because as a hunter, if you're listening to this, that's a picture-perfect example of your situation. We hunted him. We tried to kill him, but we were trying to kill him in different places where he was coming from. Yeah. So we totally backed up, and if you think about what we did, those guys left, and us three stayed there, and we did something totally different than we normally did. We changed our way we entered. We changed the time we entered. Right. And we did everything different. But well, if you remember this, too, when we were staying there, we did not initially stay there for the initial intent. We didn't go, we're going to go hunt Mufasa this evening. Right. We just had some stuff to do. We pulled that trail camera, mm-hmm. and we had that was the first daylight picture we had of Mufasa. Yeah, and it really wasn't daylight; it was like five o'clock. It was right at yeah, right at dusk. That that stand where we killed him out of, we had hunted that stand one other time, mm-hmm. and that's because that he was not the only shooter in there. Me and Wilbur hunted it one other time, and the only other time we hunted it was when again the conditions were absolutely exactly. perfect. And that's a key too, because especially it's. It's always important, no matter where you're hunting. But on a 30 acre piece, that's amplified a hundred times. Oh, you shoot. cannot risk even. I mean, I know it's, we talk about this a lot too. You you cannot risk even if if you're you know you got a job, you're in school, you only got a weekend to hunt, or this, you know this many days to hunt. You cannot risk bumping an area whether because the wind's bad, no. if, especially a spot if there's a shooter in there that you're trying to kill. You ha- respect that deer's nose. You respect all that and stay out of there until the conditions are perfect. Yeah. It reminds me when I was, you know, late teenager years, I could not keep out of the woods. Like, mm-hmm. and I had this guy tell me one time because I would hunt every day I could and go to, you know, a spot I'd been seeing good deer on camera and didn't pay any attention to weather or wind or anything. And I had a guy tell me, you know, it's not about how much time you spend in the woods, it's about how much quality time you spend in the woods. Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, if you get the wind right, go in there and hunt. If not, stay out. Yeah, and here's the other thing, too. While we're on that topic, he, it, this wasn't asked, but it's something that, and I, when I say common mistakes, I say, I, I'm just thinking of mistakes I've made in the past, because, and I know other people do it. So you're hunting this spot, whether it's hunter situation or any kind of situation, you're trying to get on an early season buck, and you have pictures of him, and you know he's coming in in daylight, whatever, you're hunting, the wind's good, and... Uh, doe comes in what do you do i'd probably shoot <laughs> that's that's, uh, that's up to uh i guess that's dealer's choice well it is and the thing you got to be careful with when you, you got other deer coming into a place like that is is bumping those other deer mm-hmm. right you know you may be in there and you got six or seven does coming in with one buck and you're doing everything you can to beat those 14 eyes and 14 ears and seven noses and who knows if he's standing back there 60 yards behind him just waiting for the right moment yeah, and one right. of those deer bump or spook or freak out and you're done. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, too. Like, I'm, And I'm not saying, I mean, because in Jordan's situation, too, I mean, I've been on that side of it, too. Sometimes if a doe comes in, if you want to shoot a doe, shoot a doe. It's your hunt. You do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. But I say that because I've done it before where I'm trying to kill a buck and I just, just – honestly being ignorant to it in my younger age i'd shoot a doe and then i'd wonder why the deer activity fell off in that spot that's because you think about it usually when you shoot a deer which way are they gonna run back to where they're back to where they came from if they go they're gonna run to their bed they're gonna run and so you risk a chance of just like me and you when you was a kid when you got hurt playing football down the street where'd you run you run home run home home to mama and (laughs) another thing with uh hunter hunting this small track of land 
entry is everything. Because mm-hmm. if you're standing where you're getting these bucks are on the backside of your place and you're walking through everything you have to get there, more than likely those bucks are seeing you or smelling you before you ever even get to your stand. Yeah, oh, for sure. I think if we can sum that one up, like, Hunter, if, if I was in your situation, like all, all these all these guys had had good advice, but that'd be, I would let, this time of year, I would let, I'd let the cameras, the trail cameras do all of my hunting mm-hmm. until until that buck started showing himself in daylight. Yeah, long distance scouting, because I'll be honest with you, don't get me wrong, we make cameras here and, and we sell them and we, we rely on them and we trust them. But if you think about the camera surveys that we got going right now, we put our cameras out before we left for elk season. Mm-hmm. Right. We haven't touched them until we get back next week. And I think a lot of people can really, the deer can pattern them because they want to go in there every day and check their camera. Right. Yeah, every oh, two for days, sure. at least if, once a week. If you're fortunate enough to have an area where you can scout the deer from the outside looking in, mm-hmm. as far as bean fields and cornfields yeah. and, and stuff like that, this time of the year here in Mississippi, all the crops are out, everything's cut, so you have that opportunity to be able to see those deer. Um, my advice to Hunter, especially here in Mississippi, and we're, we're going to do it this year at Cottonmouth. We talked about it early season, uh, during elk season. We're not going to hunt in the mornings. Mm-mm. I just think trying to get in in the mornings at this time of the year, especially when you're dealing with deer that are doing all their moving late at night and into the early mornings, if you can, man, just try to hunt in the afternoons if it's possible. you you got a more prevailing wind. You know what your wind's going to be doing. And, and you can get in and watch what you're doing, and you can walk in quiet and walk out quiet. Mm-hmm. Mornings can be tough in, in, in the South. It really can. I think one thing, and we touched on it, the, the key, or one of the biggest keys to killing bucks in the early season is just using caution. You know, because it it's just, it's a it's a waiting game, and it's, it's a matter of not boogering that deer. Because, again, you know, like in the rut or whatever, you have a lot more room for error when in bumping deer. I mean, mm-hmm. you still don't want to bump them, but in the early season, that's absolutely crucial because sometimes, I mean, if you go in there and you bump him, he may not come back. And especially if you're hunting 30 acres, he may be gone. Yeah, and with those mature bucks, they have such a small core area to start with, and mm-hmm. if you get inside of their comfort zone, they're going to find another comfort zone somewhere else. Because yeah. here the chances is, too, I mean, and I don't know the specifics of where he's hunting at, but they could be bedding just, Hundred yards from there, we you don't know. Depending I mean, on what no time, time. Yeah. he's getting pictures. Yeah, there's if no you time. Run the trail camera with a, an attractant or any kind of food to get those pictures of those deer. Through my experiences with Texas, Canada, and places where they feed deer, if you're feeding that deer in the summertime, chances are he's within eye shot of seeing you coming in there. Yeah. Yep. Probably 85% of the time. Yeah. Most of those deer, I've seen it in Kentucky. I've seen this drive right by him. Guaranteed he can hear you. Right, he knows oh, yeah. when you're leaving. He knows when you're coming. So just be careful, man. It's it, They live there 365 days a year. We just visit it every now and then. And the good thing is the blessing that you have at only hunting 30 acres is you you don't have all these other opportunities, all these other decisions on which stand to hunt, where to go based on this and that and the other. you got 30 acres to hunt. You may have two or three stands on that 30 acres. And... You're not cluttered with freaking out on where you need to go, when you need to go. It's pretty easy to figure up on 30 acres. You just hunt the wind, hunt it smart, spend a lot of, a lot of time. I'd rather spend a little bit of time in a really good place than a lot of time in a really bad place and mess my other place up. So, right, yeah, but have fun. Sure. You'll figure them out. Yeah, and no doubt. Okay, so let's talk about that. You mentioned some. we had a lot of folks ask about attractants. So one, they asked, someone just straight up asked, what's the favorite attractant that we use this time of year, which we... All of our attractant usage is just for 
getting inventory and trail camera and trying to get bucks on cameras, but we all use the Primo's takeout, sure. whether it be the fall harvest or the... Well, any attractant that, that I'm going to use is going to be beneficiary to the deer. Yep. Correct. And, and giving them the minerals that they need. Those deer know what they need when they need it. Mm-hmm. Um, they know when to eat the acorns. They know when to eat the persimmons. They know what bush to eat. And well, I've always said which you we just put pay out, attention to the deer. They tell you what they yeah, want. Yeah, which we put out mineral licks, too, during the summer. Sure. Me, and, me and Jordan went out. When did we go? I don't know. June. Yeah, June. And put out some minerals. We had a flood this year, so we were late getting over there. I'd mm-hmm. rather put them out in February and March. Right. But it was June before we could get in there with mm-hmm. the water. And that's what I think I remember. We took a picture of it, I'm pretty sure, because we, we get questions a lot when it comes to the minerals and the supplements and stuff. Like, how much do the deer actually use that? If you remember that that big, uh, we poured that sweet spot over it. We've been using that mineral spot for years, old, just old, rotted out stump. But after we put that stuff out there, I mean, it looked like a cattle cross, and the deer have been using it so much because that has some stuff in there that they need. It looked like a disco floor. <laughs> doing a stomp in there. <laughs> For sure. I think they get in there and get it on their feet, and then they go lay down and lick their fingers like we do when oh, we yeah. ice cream and chocolate. Like, like Cheetos and good stuff? Fried yeah. yeah. <laughs> so someone else asked whether we whether we prefer to hunt attractants in early season or hunt a natural food source. A lot of that has to do, again, with uh, your state laws, you know, because some states don't allow you to hunt over attractants uh, yeah, here in mississippi you know i think they have changed the rule where it has to be in a covered trial for in a spin cast feeder and has to be a within uh, outside of 100 yards right. of your stand so i mean you had to hunt in mississippi natural food sources with bows no yeah. doubt about it which all of us you know we grew up doing that so i, I mean i know all of us would say preferred attractants are natural we'd say natural just because that's what we're used to doing i've ever i've never hunted over anything but natural because right. it's always been illegal to do in mississippi yeah and it you know it's it, a lot of people i think get intimidated by that just because i mean it is i guess i don't know if simpler is the right word to use with the track but so i mean I, again a lot of that has to do with your state laws but i mean i i would prefer natural food sources which you know this year if any of y'all followed you know the instagram or the facebook y'all saw what while Troy and Will and Brad were elk hunting in Montana already. Me and Jordan went out to Cottonmouth and planted some early season food plots, which is something we've not been able to do since we've been out there because we're usually elk hunting. Exactly. We got a break this year. The elk season kind of got pushed back three or four days, so that gave me and Lake opportunity to go put in some early season plots with our uh, takeout mixes. And so far, so good. They're looking really good right now. We've been getting some pictures from some of the guys from the office that's been there. Yeah. I think what we'll do is too is we'll we'll get some of those pictures we got. We'll put them on Instagram right. so people can see them and stuff. But yeah, I, that's got me super fired up because I mean we've got radishes and some turnips and then we got some good stuff. And those radishes and the turnips, that's that's the good thing about that is is it's a good early season source, but it's a great late season food mm-hmm. source too. Yeah, the brassicas and stuff. For us at Cottonmouth, if you really think about what we're dealing with there at Cottonmouth, you know, wild pecans are the main food source yep. and browse. Uh, in our late season hunting, and it's it's a you know the river Mississippi River Delta can be an incredible place to hunt, but it's also probably one of the toughest places to hunt when it comes to pattern deer on food sources, especially in late season. Mm-hmm. For sure. Go ahead, George. Going to natural food sources. I mean, right now in the South, I can't speak for the like Midwest and stuff. I'm sure acorns are dropping like crazy up there, but. Right now, our primary food source is persimmons. I mean, you got a few acorns, a few white oaks are starting to drop, but the majority of them have be here starting about 10 days or so. And, you know, right now, persimmons is 
the buffet line. The deer is sweet. They're getting a lot of carbs and sugar out of that, so they love them. It's like candy. Oh, for sure. And that's that's. I mean, that's been <clears throat> history has proven that because I mean, how many times if you watch the Cottonmouth shows or anything at all during this time of year, that first we go out there, we're always talking about mm-hmm. persimmons. It's a two week window that we can play that game with the persimmons. Yeah. Between the deer and the coons, I don't know which ones eat them the fastest. And I killed a coyote last year sure eating persimmons. They'll eat them. Did you really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I remember that. Yep. I remember that. I they do. come up there chomping on them like it was sweet apples. Yeah. Here's one thing, too. You know, it's easy it's, if you're hunting the same property over and over again. You kind of know where your feed trees are, where your persimmon mm-hmm. trees are. But, and I don't, probably not too many people deal with this just because the, the river's kind of different but you know we had that one spot on the river right on the bank of the river yeah the uh, Kubota stand yeah the Kubota stand what we call it we literally we call it that just because it's so usually so orange there with persimmons it makes you think about a Kubota but we went and checked it this year there's no persimmons on it this year I don't know whether it's from stress or too much water that would or be, not enough water that would be my guess is just the high water this year mm-hmm. is going to keep them from producing but the reason I say that is that's where some of your preseason scouting comes in you yep. know because what if you don't you just assume Cause i got this old faithful persimmon tree that's going to be dropping and then yep. you go in there and you before daylight you jack up in your climbing stand and then come up there and there's no persimmons in the tree <laughs> yeah. uh-oh because yeah. based on years past that is a doe killing hole oh for sure it won't be this year because there's no mm-hmm. food there there's nothing there's no reason for them to be there so it'll change them so that's something to remember because I think what will happen is if you remember just just a little ways over is where we have that closed road stand and that persimmon tree is producing. So that will probably make that the doe killing stand this year if I had to guess. So next question. Okay, so someone asked, okay, hello, I'm a 15-year-old female bow hunter. I love bows. What kind, what kind of good bow would you recommend? Uh, Matthews The Avail. Matthews Avail yep, would be. For sure. It's uh-huh. probably one of the smoothest, fast-shooting, mm-hmm. light poundage bows there is on the market yeah. right now. And I, obviously we haven't shot it because they made yep. it for females, but I've heard nothing oh, you but... you shot it. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't I tell sh- nobody. I got to get one here soon for my wife, Jessie. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I, I would out. recommend this. Any... I mean, we shoot Matthews. I love them. They're great bows, but there's a lot of good bows in the market. Mm-hmm. But go to your local dealer. Go to a professional and go sit down with somebody and let them fit you to a bow. Oh, absolutely. That's because the, yeah. the fun of archery is when everything fits you, it's fun to shoot. Mm-hmm. If it don't fit you, you're going to get frustrated and aggravated, and you're going to quit. So especially for newcomers, she said she's an avid bow hunter, so she's yeah. done it before. Yeah. Yeah. That's the main thing about bow hunting is being comfortable with your equipment. Yeah, definitely. And, and confident. Yeah. And confident. Yeah. Definitely well, if you're comfortable in, one, it makes you confident because yeah. you're going to be good at shooting. Yeah. Yeah. And definitely look into that Matthews avail. Okay, so on the subject of archery, let's see. What do you all think of blackout arrows? Um, Honestly, I've never heard of them. I don't know anything about them. Um, we all shoot gold tip. I'm shooting a gold tip platinum pierce this year. I think that's what you're shooting too I'm shooting late. A, you're shooting a 250 you're, spine. I'm shooting a 300 and spine. Troy is shooting a kinetic chaos, kinetic chaos. gold tip. And by far, it's the I mean, it's the most consistent shooting arrow I've ever shot. Yeah. So I can't speak to an arrow I don't know anything about. I don't know anything about blackout arrows, but I I know. I don't think you could pull any of us away from the gold tips. So. I know uh, Wilbur switched over. He was shooting. Uh, he was shooting Hunter. No, Velocities. He was shooting, he was shooting Velocities last year, and he's shooting uh, Platinum Pierce this year, yeah. too. I think Brad's the same. Yeah. He's shooting Platinum Pierce. Those Pierce Platinums, not to, I mean, not to get off on a tangent, but those things just penetrate so well. Yeah, they're, they're a micro era, so they're small, so it really doesn't use up 
a whole lot of kinetic energy on pen, on yeah. entry. You know, the, the whole the whole thought process behind it, the way it was explained to me, because I'm no aeromechanic by any means, but that micro diameter allows it to where the only drag you're getting is from the blade to the broadhead, mm-hmm. so increased penetration. Like, and that's and I've yeah I I don't think that's why Wilbur shooting pierces. Like You're that. shooting pierces. I'm shooting pierces, and tro- that kinetic chaos Troy shoots. That's a micro diameter yeah. arrow as well. Mm, I shot, I guess, three or four does with it last year, and one buck in Illinois. And you shot, I don't know how many deer, four or five last Did year you? with the uh, kinetic, no, the chaos. I shot, and 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 I know most people would say, especially Wilbur would say, I wouldn't do that, but I check all my arrows all the time. I shot a bull elk, two does and two bucks with the same arrow. Yeah, and pass Different through, just zip through every like one of them. Nothing. And that's with the yep. chaos, kinetic chaos. chaos. And yeah. I had the same out of my bow with the Pierce Platinum. Yeah, well, again, again, what I would do, yeah. I can only speak to what I know about. Yeah. If, if someone asked my opinion on what arrow they would shoot, I, I could tell them gold tip and not have yeah. any, have a clear conscience about yeah. it because I know how they are. That's right. Yeah, just me personally, I would rather spend 30 or $40 extra or a dozen and buy a really good air. Oh, for sure. Versus buying uh, some off-brand and not being 100% confident in its performance. Oh, well, think about how, I mean, how... So, I mean, the airs may be fine. I'm not saying they're not, but I just don't know. The way I think of it is, I mean, in terms of bow hunting, how, this may sound silly, but, the, I mean, how important is the arrow to your success? It's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty important. I mean, yeah. if you... And I that's mean, the if, charging cord between your phone and the wall. I mean, I mean if, you, if you put in... I mean, if you scout the way you're supposed to, hunt the way you're supposed to, and a big, I mean, that big buck comes in, and you have an arrow that doesn't act right, then I mean, what good do you? I mean, what, you're kind of, kind of putting and yourself in a hole there. Spine, you know, weight is. I figured out this summer. I went up from a shooting a 250 spine arrow, which is a little bit stiff from what I was supposed to be shooting, to I went up to a 340, and I could not get those arrows to shoot consistently. Consistently. And there's nothing wrong with the air. It's just that something with my draw length versus weight is a little too much for mm-hmm. that air. And that's a big deal. If you, I mean, at 20 yards, is fine. But you get out to 30 and I'm shooting a 9-inch group versus the same air and a little bit stiffer yeah. uh, spine, I'm shooting a lot better with that. Well, so that's a big deal to look into. Well, the other thing, and, and I can remember that when I was younger. And, I mean, I didn't know... I didn't even know what arrow spine meant. I just kind of went and yeah. bought arrows, but um, I started learning how crucial that was. And yeah, that's something. Sure. If anyone's listened to that, listen to this that that has never looked into that. I mean, shooting the correct arrow spine wise can be huge to mm-hmm. your success as well. Because that's the same the same deal. I mean, you start shooting arrows that are not enough spine, that's going to affect your consistency tremendously. Yep. Just because I start like I started shooting three hundred spine arrows, I had to because I went up. Uh, impounded some in the arrows I had that was underspined for them, which is one thing too. Another thing about I'm not I'm not trying to just overplug gold tip, but gold tip has that spine chart where it's you know because I wouldn't be able if if it weren't for that I wouldn't know what to shoot. But they have a, a chart that's real easy to read that says if you're shooting this much poundage and this yeah. this is the spine you need, which made it really easy. That's why I went with those. I could have gone with my setup. I could have shot anywhere from 300 to 340 spine. But I had that elk hunt coming up, so I went ahead just with a 300 just because I wanted to have a heavier arrow. But those things shoot lights out. And that's like, you know, my setup, I shoot a 250 arrow, which is a 10 grains per inch arrow. Mm-hmm. Mine's like 9.4, I think. It's like shooting a, a broomstick at them pretty oh, yeah. much. It's stiff as a metal rod, but 
Man, you shoot some, it blows yeah. through whatever you hit. I'd much rather have heavy, heavy, stiff spine arrow guy. But I, I will say this: there's a lot of people out there, and in today's world, there's so much equipment out there. But when when you get your potion figured out, mm-hmm. leave it alone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You start tinkering with it. If you change anything, the consistency changes, and that goes back to what we were just talking about. Somebody asked about those arrows. When you start buying cheaper and cheaper arrows or cheaper and cheaper equipment. You start getting inconsistency, especially in, in arrows. And when mm. you get inconsistency in an arrow, that, that's when you're you just everything just changes. Mm. And if if once you get it working, leave it alone. Yeah. I'm the world's worst. I'm well, the world's worst. Somebody I, want to tinker with something? I yeah. No, I think Will Will Primos is the world's worst. I would, I'll attest to that. Yeah. <laughs> I I, I fiddled and fiddled with my bow all summer till I got it right, but I hadn't touched it since then. But it took me for ever to get it figured out exactly where I want it as far as weight weight distribution it, yeah getting it balanced well, and, out and the other key is too a lot of people don't realize is is shooting mm-hmm. you know once you get your equipment set up it's going to stay if you leave it alone yeah but shooting and practicing and keeping that muscle memory where mm-hmm. it needs to be it's all about muscle memory I don't play golf but I got some friends that play golf that are bow hunters and they tell me it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. You know, playing golf, it's it's muscle oh, yeah. memory. Same thing over and over and over. And that's one of the things that you got to keep consistent. Same anchor point. Same way of doing everything to be able to make sure that when that time comes, because you don't have time to think about all that when you're shooting at a big deer or yeah. a doe or anything. Because after you pull the trigger and you, you make the shot, whether it's a good shot or you miss, you look back on it and you go, I don't have no idea what yeah. I did. Yeah, what just happened? Yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing, and I'm not going to say, I have friends, I'm not going to say they are. I've seen you other people. Friends? That's some, one I'm, or two. I'm proud of you. Yeah, one or two. Right. That's <laughs> awesome. But, yeah. but you see, I mean, I'm sure y'all have seen it too. Like, that bow will not get touched until like two days before Mississippi Archery opener, and then they blow the dust off the oh. case and crack it open, draw back and shoot, and they'll hit, you know, My within a, a, you know, a pie plate or bigger, and they go, oh, good, ready to go, and that just drives me crazy. Not not that I'm the greatest archer in the world. I'm not. I just, it just goes back to what Troy's saying. I just know what practice and practice and practice and muscle memory and making it to where, again, when you're in that moment of truth, you go through your routine. Yeah. Even you've just done it so many times, you go through it without having to think about it, and that that's what you gain. From practice and my but. my dad is the world's <laughs> worst about that. Tell a little story about last you can year. Say, no, you can you can say that. I okay. Well, <laughs> so here is a picture perfect example of what we're talking about. So Jordan's dad, he's up there at bow hunting Illinois. We went up there a few days with him last year, and we meet him up there. And uh, we get back after the first morning, and Jordan says. Have you shot your bow at all since we've been here? And he's like, no. And he says, well, don't you think you should shoot it? And, no, no. But Jordan talks him into shooting it. We pull out the Glendale and stick it out there. I mean, it was like 15 yards. <laughs> and he pulls the bow out of the case, and uh, it was just, I don't know. How old is that bow? Uh, it's a 08 model or something like that. I shot it when I was in high school. Which nothing, I mean, <clears> I guess. Nothing wrong with the bow. But it's, it's a very just, good bow. It just hasn't been. So, and then he pulls out his quiver, and he's got like, he's got five arrows i don't think any of them are the same brand they're all different lengths all got different heads on there and he goes <laughs> up and he just walks over and draws that bow back thunk, and i'm telling you i'm not exaggerating that arrow had an arc at 15 yards and it <laughs> stuck right in like the top of the spine 
of the target, and the arrow's just sitting there, kind of going boing, 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 boing. And, <laughs> and he turned, the whole time he's sitting there. I'm gonna, I'm gonna show, I'm gonna show him something. I'm gonna show him. Something. <laughs> well, he turns around, looks at Jordan, goes, "What else you want me to do?" And I'm like, "What?" <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> so then Jordan made him shoot a crossbow. <laughs> yeah. that's just one of the things you need to practice you got to practice you got to practice you got to practice yeah. and it's going to be very i mean that's, that that is all it is once you practice enough you're going to be successful mm -hmm. because here's the thing like all jokes aside and I, I mean i know we all take this very seriously we've said this before you owe it to the animal mm -hmm. you really do i mean because i mean every i'm sure if you've made a bad shot on an animal before deer elk turkey anything if you've made a bad shot you know what that feels like that's not what you want to do you're trying to get the quickest cleanest kill out of, out of yeah. respect for all the work you put in out of respect for that animal that's that is the main goal said this, if you're going to spend the time out there hunting in god's great outdoors god's watching you mm -hmm. and he wants you to do the very best you can right to make sure you take that animal cleanly respectfully and humanely mm -hmm. and for me I, I think back on this past season that elk i shot this year with that wind blowing y'all were there with me videoing it and i I just said, Lord, if you can, if you can make that wind die down, I can make that shot. Yeah. And I had all the confidence in my equipment and yeah. my ability to make that shot. And he stopped that wind, buddy. And because, because, again, to your point, had that wind not stopped, would you have shot? I would have not shot. Absolutely, yeah. I, I and I knew you would. And, yeah. and I couldn't when he first. The first time I tried to stop him, my bow was shaking. But when when he stopped and I put my nose on that string, the wind went. Yeah. And I let it fly. Yeah, we've just said that before. It's just not worth it. No. It's just no, it's don't not. Take it. Especially if they don't know you in the world. If you ain't spooking them, let them go. They, they're going to be there again. Yeah, they're not going. They live there. They're not going anywhere. I like early season. I really do. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about Monday. Uh, I know everybody, you know, we all got the can't wait to go jitters, and we want to get in the woods, and we want to. I mean, me personally, I know I'm not. none of us are going to be hunting the first week or two of the season, but if we were, I can assure you, first doe walks up, I'm killing it. Up the pot. <laughs> Getting out of my system. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. I definitely. I promise you, there's gonna be some does go down this well, you week. You know what I call doe. You know, you know what I call a doe. That's just an attitude. <laughs> yep. Especially if one blows at you. Oh, yeah. They you, blow, they go. Blow, oh, that the, go. all the stuff I said about not shooting a doe. If they blow, that all goes out the window. Yeah. If they blow, <laughs> they are on the most wanted list when they're blowing at you. Oh yeah. You start looking for little imperfections on them so you can give them a name and say, "I'm coming back after you." Which, yeah. if Jimmy's the one hunting, they're gonna blow. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just a matter of time before. Well, they just blowing at him because they want uh, a piece of his honey bun. Yeah, they smell yeah. that honey bun exactly. up in the tree, and they want him to get some piece of that. Smelled the honey bun or heard the wrapper. What else we got? Any, any other Last question, question we got. Someone asked what calls we're using. Um, I The patient's call? Yeah. The, I've never, I mean, you can, I mean, we can kind of, I guess, I mean, they call here, call it, but I, I mean, we don't ever touch our calls until pre-rut. You know, really. Will, if he sees a buck or something, he'll lightly grunt, just, ah, yeah, ah, just, I mean, that's a natural noise. I wouldn't get too aggressive with it just because it's not that time of year that bucks yeah. are being aggressive, grunting and making known that this territory is theirs and they're running all the other bucks off. But it is a natural noise. It is. Noise with uh, small bleats, doe bleats. They, they're all communicating all the time. If you, Early I mean, season, if you, the does do communicate yeah. a lot. Mm -hmm. A lot of times you'll, you'll hear, I mean, I, I know y'all heard it. Who was, I think you were with me one day. We yeah, when they were doing all that bleating. Yep. And it, it, this fawn was just walking around, man, man, just running around mm -hmm. in the woods. I'm like, that thing's lost our mind. That man. was actually the night you shot Mufasa because when I pulled up there to pick y'all up, I heard them too. Yeah, you're right. That, that is when we shot Mufasa. Yeah. Was. 
the uh, so I, I agree with that. I mean, if you're gonna call, I mean, if you keep it kind of like light, you're not gonna spook anything. If you start getting super aggressive, you will spook yeah. something. Yeah. But I, you know, I, I have seen this. I've seen, you know, a deer out there start to get maybe not necessarily figure you out, but kind of get a little, I guess, hesitant to come in or kind of get spooked. I've seen, I've seen calls get used to kind of calm them down and mm-hmm. sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't it just depends on the situation it, it depends on the deer and his attitude or her attitude at the time you know we've all seen this the old them old matriarch does will run every other deer off a persimmon tree oh for sure just to keep them all to herself and a buck could do that too i've seen a, old group, I've seen a buck. buck it was actually uh i've seen a buck under i think he was eating it was me and brad i think we were in like a dewberry thicket and it doesn't matter but there was a persimmon tree, dewberry, I don't know, something, and he snort wheezed at a at a smaller deer. Mm-hmm. So they they will do that. But I I definitely wouldn't I wouldn't go into early season thinking calling is going to be one of my main tools. Especially like rattling or no, anything yeah, like no. that. I'd I'd keep all that at the house. Keep it the soft grunts and use a can every once in a while. Just little short bleats with it, and it won't hurt anything. I won't say it's going to work, but it won't hurt anything yeah. for sure. I, I did, yeah. A I, confidence call in yeah. anything. Yeah, just uh, letting the deer know there's other deer around, and they'll feel more comfortable coming in. Yeah. So let's let's talk. That's that's all the questions we got to cover today. So let's let's talk about this kind of last thing. So, cottonmouth next week. We get there the first day. What as far as hunting strategy? What's the first thing, Jordan? What's the first thing you want to try? As far as locations. Uh, I want to go back to where we killed the big deer last year. Yeah. You know, me and Will, first time in stand, he shoots a 165-inch 10-point, so it's not yeah. a bad option to go right back in that same stand yeah, no, if you had the right wind. plot there now. Oh, yeah, we got food plots. I yeah. keep forgetting that we went over and planted early season food plots, so that's going to change our whole tactic. That's going to change our whole tactic. <laughs> how you spell that? Tastic. You get Jordan real wound up sometimes. He forgets how to talk. How do you come to have that? <laughs> well, that's going to that's gonna change our whole game plan. I should say that. But, uh, <laughs> well, I think the one thing we got this year versus what we had last year for the first week is Sunday we got a front coming. Mm-hmm. The high Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday is going to be like 72, lows in the 50s. Last year it was 97, highs in the 70s and 80s. I mean, highs in the 90s, lows in the 70s and 80s. So we're going to have a different win. Last year we struggled. If y'all remember, we struggled the first two months of the season with yeah. south southeast winds, mm-hmm. ridiculous. And the the way Cottonmouth lays and the way we hang all our stuff, we got a lot of us set set for for north and west winds. Because that's usually what we got. And we didn't get that last year. So this year it's going to be a little bit different. I, I, Jimmy and I have talked. You know, y'all have have gave me the opportunity to be able to hunt with Jimmy. I enjoy hunting with Jimmy. We both old, so we go kind of slow. <laughs> Jimmy's a lot older than me, but. Um, there's a couple of persimmon trees that do have persimmons mm-hmm. that we kind of checked on, and that's kind of his idea. He's already claimed one food plot. Good and, luck. Well, then Jimmy's hunting this year with a crossbow. He's going to get the one that uh, grew up in Nutsedge and, That'd be fine. and we'll Johnson kill, Grass. We'll, we'll kill something there. <laughs> we'll send him there, but yeah. <laughs> Jimmy can reach out and touch him this year. He's really excited about that, that new sub one crossbow, and, and um, he's been driving tacks with it. So he's excited about that. But honestly, for me, um, if I had to pick that question you asked me, if I had to pick just going in blind, not knowing, you know, the first thing I'm going to do is check one or two trail cameras, but I'm going to go back to Old Faithful based on the wind. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be one or two of those setups that we hunted last year early in the season. Um, I know Jimmy's got Rocker on his mind. Jimmy, Jimmy's got Rocker on his well, mind. Jimmy Brad, was, Wilbur, Jimmy was the last me, person try. to see Rocker last year <laughs> on the very last day of the season when he shot that big eight point. That, uh, who is Rocker? 
Well, never... Rocker Rocker is a is a deer that we started hunting last year early in the season in in, in Arkansas part of the Cottonmouth property. And same same kind of situation. When we first saw him, it was this time of year, strictly nocturnal. Yeah, and and there's no doubt in my mind where he was living. Later in the year, we figured out where he was, and that deer knew when we was there. He knew every moment and oh, every yeah. step we were making whenever we we were there, and he was there. But you know whether he's whether he's grown and got bigger or lesser, who, who knows? We haven't got a picture of him yet. But the cool thing is, I think the, the, the neat thing for all of us is when we get there this week is being able to grab all them cards and sit mm-hmm. down. We'll spend the first two nights. We won't get much sleep going through trail camera. No, pictures. we won't be too excited. But we're going to wait for Jimmy, Brad, and Will to go to sleep before we start looking at those pictures. Yeah. 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 We can be selective about what we're going to tell my find, I, If I had to go, I mean, I've got the old faithful spots that have been successful in years past but sure. going into this early season the thing that has me most excited which you talked about is those food plots yeah like there's some of those and the ones like i said we, we've got to post pictures of them just so y'all can see what we're talking about but those things have got me so fired up just because we've never you know we in the past it's either been you know persimmons and stuff like that or beans we don't have beans this year well another thing you know we've tried planting early season food plots before but it's such a struggle in the south and I, it's like this all over the country in the Midwest, too. Army worms. You know, yeah. if you plant too early and it's dry, where we hunt at, you're going to get army worms. And luckily this year we had a mild later summer, had some rain and cooler temperatures. And so far, so good. We hadn't been anything destroyed by army worms. So that's one thing that's working in our favor. The moon's good next week. I'm not a big moon guy, but... You know, what I've read and studied the last quarter early season moon is a lot of daylight afternoon activity. So looking good. We're going to have fun no matter what, though. Well, and it's going to feel good. Mm-hmm. The weather's going to be good. We ain't going to be sitting there trying to figure out how much clothes we don't want to wear so we can go hunt. I mean, last year, goodness gracious, if I could have went in shorts and the T-shirts, I'd have done it. I guarantee you, it was rough. I just hope the mosquitoes ain't horrible. But I can tell you this, I, I got a duel. Myself. I went into Wilbur. I went into Wilbur's office a while ago, and it's like I don't know thirty cans of mosquito spray in there. He has ordered for well, so. He's got one of my thermocells that he took from me this past turkey season, and I, I just went and bought another one because I'm not going to ask for it back because I know it's got WRP written on it already. Mm-hmm. Good deal. Next week's going to be fun, and we'll keep Our everybody next updated. Next podcast is going to be from Cottonmouth. Oh yeah, yep, be from Cottonmouth. Hopefully, we'll be talking about some deer we've killed. I would. Uh, I would, if I was a betting man, I'd say we'll have some fun stuff to talk about. But yeah, most definitely, this next podcast will be from the Cottonmouth Camp House because this after this we about to start packing stuff up and get ready because we about to be gallery unpacked. Yeah. yeah, true. Like I said, we just <laughs> take our elk stuff, move it to the tree, <laughs> and on we I go. I just washed my underwear and dirty pants, so we're good to go. How you many? Washed your underwear? Yep. Oh, he has one pair. Oh, we're, we're, we're good to go. All right. Well, I think that's about all the time we have for today. We're gonna. Get ready here. Excited for the next week. It's going to be fun. But, uh, yeah, so keep sending in your questions. Thank you all for the ones you all sent in today. I hope we answered all of them good enough for you. And, as always, thank you for listening to the Speak the Language podcast.